Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today we hear from Propagate Content's Ben Silverman, Televisa Univision's Rodrigo Mazon, NBC Universal's Anna Langenberg, Movie Star Plus's Domingo Corral, Omdia's Maria Rua Agueta, and RMV Star's Rosemarie Vega, all from C21's inaugural Content Americas in Miami. Content Americas took place this week in Miami, C21's inaugural three-day event designed to bring together the Latin American, US and international TV businesses and promote the growth of Spanish-language programming. Some 1,500 delegates converged on the downtown Miami Hotel to foster new partnerships, cultivate existing ones, buy, sell and adapt finished shows and develop the next big originals. Representatives from Televisa Univision, Telemundo, Movie Star Plus, The Media Pro Studio, Globo, Warner Brothers Discovery, Fox Entertainment, Sony Pictures and more descended on the sellout confab, organised together with C21 Spanish language brand C21. This episode features a number of these. US studio Propagate Content, co-founded by longtime Latino champion Ben Silverman, whose credits include telenovela US remakes Ugly Betty and Jane the Virgin, established a Spanish-language division last year. The company has made Mexican drama Rebelled and Latin music competition format La Firma for Netflix, plus horror comedy Pinches Mamias for new Televisa Univision streamer VIX+, with which it has a first-look deal. Silverman was among the keynote speakers at Content Americas in Miami this week and after his on-stage appearance spoke to C21 North American editor Jordan Pinto about the trends he sees shaping the Latin American and US Hispanic markets right now. There are many trends inside the Spanish language television market today and uh, I think one of the things you're seeing uh, most profoundly is the expansion of not only budget but ambition for what's possible in Spanish language television. In a world that had been really grounded in the soap opera in more traditional Latin genres, there's this unlocking of new opportunities as new players have entered the market. And as people have started to watch the Spanish language content travel outside of its own borders. And I think that those trends are meeting and are very exciting to watch play out as you're going to see new genres explored in Spanish language. Um, what do you think some of the some of the new genres are, and what should we expect to see in this as this new wave begins? For our own company's investment in uh, you know the emerging trends and the genres we see, uh, we tend to try and push them out first and then hopefully get to commoditize ourselves as opposed to kind of enter them second. But we're very focused across a number of arenas. We, we see there's an opportunity to tell young adult stories uh, with a population that has a lot of young people in it. Uh, we see the ability to push sci-fi, which is always over-indexed, the possibility to do you know, big-time fantasy and action-adventure. Uh, there are real ways to play in the market that haven't been played before. Horror has always worked in the movie theaters, but hasn't been portrayed as much in the series and on television. So we're looking as well and producing a show within the horror 
uh, you know, world and genre, and we're doing the same as mentioned in the science fiction genre, and we're looking at kind of aspirational fantasy uh, adventure, and then we're looking in young adult in, in genres, whether they're tied to kind of love and coming of age, or um, in the case of a couple of the programs we're doing almost in the kind of Harry Potter uh, world. Very interesting. Um, how do you think the market has, has changed over the, over the last three years, and what have been the primary drivers for that change? The market in Spanish language television and Latin content has transformed dramatically in the past three years, just as all of media and television has transformed and accelerated you're seeing a massive transformation in Spanish language. You're watching as big global streamers are looking to expand their subscriber bases and look for new audiences and reach out to new markets. And the Americas um, in a whole and the specific markets within it are massive opportunities for them. And that that content that they're investing in can travel, so not only when you invest in a Mexican show, do you hopefully get Mexico as a gateway to uh, South America? You also expect that that Mexican show can play to the US Hispanic audience. Or if you're looking at something targeted to do at the US Hispanic, you hope that it can also play in Mexico and then in the rest of Latin America. So you're seeing a great deal of new investment from the global streamers, and then you're seeing as new companies who were born of the broadcasting linear world start to transform into streamers. And you see that with Univision and Televisa's VIX uh, partnership and launching and Telemundo Plus on Peacock. There are a number of new players and a number of existing players evolving. And that's making it an exciting time to be focused on the Spanish language market and participating in that transformation. Which shows in particular, if you were to highlight some shows that had um, really helped push the Spanish language, uh, you know, Spanish language content onto the world stage um, and help them break through, are there any shows that you would identify as being especially key to helping to drive this wave? I, I personally am very invested in and believe that first wave of Latin uh, cast and uh, Latin talent-driven content, albeit not in Spanish, but in English, but at scale and with aspiration, like Ugly Betty, which Silvio Horta, a young you know, Cuban, adapted and wrote for us, and starring a new generation of Latin performers addressing Latin culture and Latin themes, was one of the first kind of door openers. And then Jane the Virgin, which we put together and produced and took it one step further as we had an almost all Latin cast and also started to play with language and have more Spanish spoken on air, not just uh, in, this, in the background, um, also started to open it up. And I think that made the mainstream US players say, oh, there's a larger audience here, we can actually uh, not only communicate to our existing audience, but grow an audience. And now we're about to watch and experience this wave of content that um, is coming directly from those producers. And I think that, you know, Casa de Papo and, and the clear success of a lot of the Spanish uh, content as it 
has been exported uh, really brought that forward even further. And now we're about to watch all this great Mexican and Colombian uh, Latin content start to play. And one of my personal favorites was La Nina, which is a Colombian show that I think uh, is just exceptional and played uh, to big audiences in the United States through its Netflix acquisition. And now we're actually adapting as a format. Mm -hmm. um do you see Spanish language content, especially as we're going into this economic downturn where some of the, some of the streamers are certainly experiencing challenges that they certainly weren't experiencing two years ago, um, do you think they will look at Spanish language content as a place where the level of storytelling is as high as it is in the English language space, but the cost of production is a, a, you know, at a slightly better price point, let's say? Um, do you think they will see more ROI um, with Spanish language content versus English language content today? I think that as you watch the uh, US, you know, founded uh, streaming platforms reach scale within the American market and start to reach a plateau in new subscribers coming through the English language US portal they originally created, you're going to watch as they start to invest in new markets to accrue subscribers and also underserved tribes within the US market itself to expand. And you're seeing that as it looks at the Indian diaspora, you're seeing it as they look at the Korean diaspora, you're seeing it as they look at the Hispanic diaspora and the Latin diaspora that's arrived in and lives in the United States. So it's like a two-pronged hit. You're gonna go invest in that Spanish, Indian, or um, Korean content to grow subscribers in your less mature markets like Korea and Chile and, and Mexico and um, South Korea, but you're also going to watch as it expands the remaining pool of subscribers who are not yet subscribing because they maybe prefer the shows from where they came from or are looking at new shows that will drive them to subscribe that speak to them in a more specific way. How do you expect the, the market for Spanish language um, programming to evolve in the coming year? Um, I think we're, we're at a place now where the market is, almost feels like it's getting to a place of maturity where audiences all over the world are interested and their eyes are on Spanish language content. What do you think the next year holds? I think that the Spanish language market is going to settle into a um, higher aspiration for itself and what the premium of that content means and what the quality of that content means as it's not only competing with um, traditional Hollywood shows, but also delivering audiences that traditional Hollywood shows have delivered in the past. And the next phase of that will be the emergence of that talent in the same level that Latin music talent has emerged, like J Balvin, you're gonna see a wave of Latin storytellers and they may start migrating across genre. They may become the next writers of Spider-Man or the next directors of um, big budgeted traditional Hollywood movies and or they may get supported and bet on to make their version of what those kind of big genre IPs meant for, for 
the American market and then the world market may start to migrate out of only being uh, a kind of Hollywood monopoly into being a multifaceted, multilingual uh, opportunity. And I truly do believe the genre mix of what's going to be invested in will expand just as it has in the United States. You'll see cop dramas, you'll see rom-coms, you'll see sitcoms, you'll see coming of age, you'll see young adult, you'll see sci-fi, you'll see fantasy, and that collection of um, stories are going to be needed to deliver on the breadth of the Latin audience because they like a lot of different things as well. Do you think we could see a, a Spanish language Game of Thrones or something? Is that what we're heading toward one day potentially? Like, do you think streamers would take a bet like that on a or streamers or a studio take a bet on a massive, massive mega budget Spanish language show in the future? We have come close to getting um, some serious investment in uh, Latin dominated content, maybe not fully Spanish language, but Latin centric content at scale. We've been developing with Robert Rodriguez for uh, a number of years and Aztecs that feels very much like a historical um, drama, like a Game of Thrones with some of the fictional, you know, fantastical elements, but also grounded in the true uh, story, is true the, the historical story that we know of the Aztecs and their transformation and then the eventual arrival of Europeans into um, South and Latin America. And I, I think there are going to be those bets taken and whether they're taken around the filmmakers like a Robert Rodriguez or the ideas like an Aztecs, there's going to be opportunities that different buyers choose to bet on uh, because they've either mined over so much of the American IP or they want something different that can potentially deliver uh, the audience to it. And we're working on that. Uh, with Antoine Fuqua now and Showtime, and we're doing Shaka Zulu shooting in Africa right now. Uh, and that's very much of the kind of Black Panther meets uh, the Game of Thrones meets the Tudors, uh, you know, a show that I produced in the past. And I, I think you're going to just watch as those kind of mashups and opportunities happen. And, uh, and I think they're going to be organic and specific and they're going to unlock budget. Without Black Panther, I'm not sure Viacom bets on Shaka Zulu. And so we'll see as that those successes start to uh, enable more opportunities. Yeah, fascinating and immensely exciting as well. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenges for the, um, the Spanish language programming um, sector over, over the next 12 months? And what, what are some of the ob obstacles that you see? I think some of the challenges that the Spanish language sector faces comes from the, um, the process of apprenticeship and the uh, transformation of the talent's own self-imposed and marketplace-imposed ceiling on what they could do. And you're going to want and encourage uh, the next generation to think about producing their content in different ways. They have to remain absolutely true, connected, and specific to the cultures they come from, but they can open up the way in which they tell those stories. And if you're not limited to a 
smaller country-sized budgets but are now opened up to a global budget, what can you do? And so there needs to be uh, the trades and the crafts and the ability of those tradesmen and craftspeople to deliver on that promise. And so I think we need to start building up what the costumes and the makeup and the lighting and the shooting and the directing and the cinematographers, uh, they're there, but they're not there at scale yet to deliver on the promise of a billion person plus marketplace. In terms of genre and format, you know, we've had melodrama, um, biopics, um, and the true crime, true crime genre have been kind of the most popular in the, over the past year. Um, when thinking about the Spanish language programming, what do you think comes next and how is Propagate Fuego, um, how are you pushing the storytelling boundaries and how are you working with the creators that you work with in order to, to push the boundaries? There are a number of pre-existing genres that have been the go-to of the Spanish language business enterprise and marketplace, most notably the telenovela, you know, and, and the, the you know, high episode number, multi-episode a week, more interior shot, lower cost production value. And there's this moment to kind of open up what are the new genres. You know, there have been so many narco dramas which have done very well. There are other slices and elements of Latin life that need to be put at the forefront. And there's opportunities to do real historical fiction. There's opportunities to do so many genres that have yet to be you know, invested in. We have yet to be with the first Mexican astronauts. We have yet to be with the first uh, you know, Chilean um, deep sea underwater craft that, that finds the, the underwater alien that it's been looking for. You know, there's a lot of these genres that have worked time and again in the English language marketplace and in the Hollywood uh, studio system that have just not been tried yet due to budget restriction and investment restriction. And I think you're going to watch as those open up and there's going to be audience traction for them. And as long as they are consistent and specific to Latin culture while addressing broader themes, there's opportunity uh, inside them. Spanish-language media giant Televisa Univision this week promoted Pierluigi Gazzolo to chief executive of its fast-growing streaming service VIX and elevated Rodrigo Mazon to executive vice president and chief content officer, responsible for both the subscription and ad-supported side of the enterprise. VIX went live with its AVOD offering in March last year before the SVOD version followed in July, with the service combining 40,000 hours of programming from predecessor Blim TV plus former Lionsgate-owned streamer Pantaya with 70 new original titles commissioned in its first year. Mazon spoke to me about his priorities in his new role, the challenges facing the Latin American region right now, and opportunities for overseas players looking to work with VIX. Rodrigo, when we last spoke at Content London, that was just a couple of months ago, you were in charge of VIX+. Plus. Televisa Univision's new subscription streaming service, but as of this week at Content Americas, you've been promoted to oversee the entire VIX offering, including AVOD. So, congratulations on that, and you know, tell us what your priorities are now in your new role. Okay, thanks, Jonathan. Nice to see you again. Um, 
Well, really, the, the change is just a, a, an evolution um, that made sense for us because on one hand, when we rushed uh, to launch this in less than a year, uh, VIX and VIX Plus, you know, they, the AVOD and the SVOD service launched um, three months apart and they, they are two experiences within a single app. Now that we're six months in and um, everything we've started learning, um, it's clear to us that um, you know, our success is largely based on our ability to optimize both the AVOD and the SVOD part of VIX. Um, we're going to have a lot of uh, users that come in for a free experience, and then you know, it's incumbent upon us to give them um, you know, sampling, uh, you know, stunts, uh, all sorts of opportunities to try some of the premium content, and then you know, there will be a percent of those that will upsell um, and pay for, for VIX Plus. So we think that uh, in order to do that properly, the best strategy is to have a holistic content and programming perspective, because ultimately for the consumer, they don't really think in terms of SVOD and AVOD uh, terminologies, right? They just see, uh, they're just looking for the best content. They've got one single app. And so really from our side, we have to make that as seamless and as easy for them to navigate um, across all of the type of content and hopefully, you know, give them the best, the best experience through that. So what's your focus here at Content Americas this week? The Content Americas is great because um, given that it's in Miami, it, it really um, is largely a, a Spanish language, Latin American and Spain market. So um, given that that is our sole focus, it is, it is a perfect place to um, reconnect with people. It is a, you know, we are taking pitches, we are um, finding co-producing partners, we are um, meeting uh, everybody and anybody, you know, from the industry in order to continue to, um, you know, essentially look for the best opportunities and the best stories to bring to VIX. And so um, tell us about the, the content, the volume of content that you've got, and also the originals that you've commissioned, I think about 70 titles so far for VIX Plus. You know, um, are these all solely from local players or you know, are you involving producers from overseas? Are there opportunities to work with you on international co-productions, for example? Definitely, yeah. We're, we, we are still so nascent as a product that we are um, rapidly trying to build out our libraries. So in terms of volume it is still going to be um as you mentioned 60 over 60 productions in the first year and uh that will be the case for the second year um we want to have uh really the entire breadth and depth of, of possible stories and formats and genres for our audience um and not just you know it's it's largely from mexico at this point because we are uh the combination of two companies that um, are very strong in, in, in Mexico and in the U.S. Hispanic market, which is, you know, two-thirds Mexican, of Mexican descent. But um, we are uh, already producing across the region, as well as um, across the ocean in Spain, and very much open to co-producing um, with partners even um, outside of the Spanish-language countries if they are, um, you know, interested in uh, Spanish-language stories that have global appeal. What are the major opportunities and challenges that you see in the Latin American region right now? Well, the opportunities is, you know, are that it is a 
still a booming market. And despite the fact that we all know, um, you know, 2022 sort of uh, pressed the brakes a bit, uh, you know, in terms of uh, streaming growth and just the industry at large. Um, I continue to believe that across Latin America and the Spanish speaking world, there is still um, sort of an undersupply and a lot of rapid evolution in terms of uh, production uh, quality, uh, up and coming talent, um, appeal for these stories across uh, not just our regions, but across the world. So that that to me is, is, is you know, extremely exciting. Uh, the challenges, of course, are that, you know, we still need, um, we're still building out infrastructure. We are still um, developing and finding new talent. Um, and that, you know, that will take some time because, you know, it is, it is a, um, it is a region where uh, it's only in the last five or 10 years that it has experienced this, this massive boom. And so, of course, that requires some patience in order to get everything ready for the amount of supply that is being demanded. What are the drivers that have uh, brought about that, that boom that you talk about? I, I believe it's, it's streaming, right? Because uh, all of these broadcast networks, uh, the local players, um, you know, for decades were, were sort of limited by their ability to monetize that hour of primetime content locally. You know, some of them were able to generate some additional revenues through, through tape sales. Uh, with streaming, you know, it's sort of become a level playing field where um, the best content uh, wins. And uh, it turns out that because, you know, the Spanish language world is so large, you know, close to uh, 600 million people, there, uh, there has now been an exposure, you know, largely due to the global streamers um, over the past 10 years to Spanish language content and, and frankly, other languages too. And I believe that that is um, what has sort of opened the eyes of, of the world to this type of content. So if the likes of Netflix, Amazon, HBO Max, Paramount now, Disney Plus, you know, have, have kind of exposed the audiences around the world to sort of Spanish language, content how do you see the challenges from them to your own business now in in latin america and how's that changing well it's it's not a zero-sum game in in my opinion and as we've known for decades and and longer you know stories come can come from anywhere so um the global streamers i believe will you know will obviously continue to exist and grow um but at the end of the day their 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 focus is primarily in um English language content with, you know, small, uh, usually single digit percentages of, uh, if any, uh, of, of non-English content in their catalogs. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I, and that's obviously important for them to a certain extent, but for us, it is, it is 100% our sole focus. So we believe that by being authentically um, a Latin company with, uh, you know, authentic Latin roots and and connections we think that that gives us a, a tremendous and very unique advantage to um not just be relevant but really connect in a in a very you know direct way with this audience across the world and finally you know how do you see the subscription and ad supported sides of vix playing out this year particularly as economic pressures hit consumers pockets advertising and tv production budgets as well we are continuing to, in, to invest heavily in um, 
you know, and improving and, 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 and making the, the ad-supported experience uh, great for all of our, our audiences. And I believe that at the end of the day, it's about uh, consumer choice. People will, um, you know, sometimes want to pay to not have ads. And I think that even um, in challenging economic times, we've seen that uh, entertainment is a great uh, sort of recession-proof uh, type of uh, product that people look for, especially when, you know, at the end of the day, it's not um, incredibly expensive uh, for the, for the, I believe, what is a tremendous sort of value proposition. And then obviously there's, you know, an even larger amount of people that um, are interested in free ad-supported content. And so we think that that combination um, is is a winning formula, you know, even, even in these times. And of course, it's a cyclical period. So uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm confident it will also get better soon, and you know we'll be ready for that as well. I have heard the phrase mentioned here the the rebirth of telenovelas, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm wondering to what extent they are the sort of uh, perfect programming for the uh, excitement we're seeing around fast channels. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, you know, I I personally think that uh, you know telenovelas or, or specifically the melodrama genre, you know, it, it's really being um, reborn all the time because uh, as far back uh, as we can go in, in recorded history, that genre is is uh, probably the most important and largest and most, you know, sort of mass appealing uh, genre of storytelling out there. So, um you know, we have deep, deep roots in that genre, which in Spanish we call telenovela. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of innovation in terms of, you know, continuing to improve upon that genre, the production values, the quality um, of the writing, etc. And so I believe that because of those deep roots and a lot of IP that we are uh, revamping and, and uh, rebooting, we think... Um, that absolutely it is a category that uh, is critical and that we have an ability to win in. A Mexican version of US sitcom Superstore debuted on TV Azteca last year following a co-production deal between local producer Dopamine and NBC Universal International Formats. It was the latter's first such scripted deal in Latin America, where the company continues to enjoy success with unscripted hits like Top Chef. NBC Universal International Format Senior Vice President of Format Sales and Production Anna Langenberg spoke to me about building on these developments and the growing significance of Spanish language programming. Hi, I'm Anna Langenberg. I'm SVP of Formats Production and Distribution for NBC Universal. So, um, my division um, represents the whole NBC Universal uh, catalogue of formats, that's uh, scripted and unscripted formats. And we also represent the Sky Studios uh, catalogue, again, scripted and unscripted. Um, we are part of um, Universal International Studios, which is uh, one of the studios in the Universal Studios group. Um, and uh, we produce um, content for the international market, uh, mostly uh, so far in English language, but also aiming to grow the non-English language uh, content. What's the uh, involvement today in the Latin American market 
and how is that sort of evolving? So yeah, so the Latin uh, Latin America market has always been very important to us. We have sold our format here before. Uh, we have been very successful here with uh, Top Chef, uh, for example, uh, where we have sold in different markets: Brazil, Panama, El Salvador, for example. Um, and um, it has always been strategically a very important uh, market for us. We have uh, a salesperson based in in Miami to focus on Latin America and the Hispanic market in the, in the US. Um, most recently, we've also been um, uh, trying to sell our scripted format here with the growth of um, uh, the interesting scripted adaptations. Um, and uh, we did our first co-production uh, with Dopamina in Mexico with one of our American titles, Superstore, uh, which we produced in the name of Supertitlan for TV Azteca in Mexico. So this is definitely uh, a growth market uh, for us. Uh, we will continue to, uh, to work. We've, we have very good relationships with the channels, producers, the new platforms here as well. And of course, uh, one of our networks, Telemundo, um, is uh, very active in um, producing here in the Hispanic market, but also for the rest of Latin America and producing in Latin America. So there's a lot of synergies internal synergies as well. Tell us about that first deal in, in Mexico with dopamine, that adaptation and, you know, what, what was the kind of process to, to getting that off the ground, the challenges that you face it, and, you know, how those sorts of relationships are likely to develop having done your first one? Yes, I think it's all about finding the right partner, uh, which dopamine felt like it was from the from the very beginning, it was a great company. We knew the work that they have been doing, but we also felt that that connection that we knew we were going to work well together. They were very excited by uh, Superstore as as a, a new type of show to develop for um, Mexican audiences. That that type of comedy and that type of um, uh, content that she the, the the people at Dopamine is a very I say she because there's a lot of uh, women uh, CEO, women producers and writers there. Um, uh, they felt that it was the right time to bring that kind of comedy into Mexican audiences and TV Azteca uh, jumped on board um, it from the very beginning. And we felt that uh, producing our IP in the Spanish language would be great for us as a company to be involved in and bring it to our networks and bring it to the international market. So it was a very interesting, very constructive and uh, great first um, co-production. Um, not sure that we had challenges. I think it had the same challenges that all productions have and co-productions have because you're trying to produce for more than one uh, uh, client in mind. Um, but we're very, you know, it has already aired on TV Azteca, we're very successful. And uh, we are busy distributing it um, uh, everywhere else now. And where do you sort of go from here, having done that first co-production? And, and how are the relationships, I guess, in terms of IP coming the other way as well? You know, yeah. are, you, are you sort of looking at ways to, to sort of tap into the talent there? And obviously, as you say, the relationship with Telemundo. Absolutely. Yeah, for us, uh, obviously, we want to do more of that. We want to sell more of our, our uh, formats in Latin America. But I think in terms of the next step, the relationship that we're forging in the region um, is um, to find writers, showrunners, 
um, producers to develop original content with in this territory for, for a global audience or for local audiences. So for us, that feels like uh, the next step. So we have this relationship with Dopamina, which could move into uh, developing original idea together, or it could be us finding IP that we want to develop together, so local IP um, that we would develop together, or doing uh, a deal with a, um, with a writer, with a director. So for us, it's about really finding the right people to work with, finding the right IP to, to develop um, uh, with them. So yeah, this feels like we are, um, it's, again, as part of uh, international studios, we have uh, creative development teams who are um, together with us looking for those relationships and looking for, the, uh, for IP. You mentioned the new players that have entered the marketplace, um, and I guess the biggest story that there was in the region last year was the creation of, of Televisa Univision, obviously. But uh, that merger, in some senses, I guess, came about because of the, the bigger dynamics taking place in the business, i.e. The, the, the shift to sort of streaming, which has kind of impacted uh, companies everywhere. So um, how do you see it specifically kind of playing out in the Latin American market, and, and how are you positioning your business to kind of uh, take advantage of that, the opportunities that are there? Yeah, like I say, it, 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 for us, we see it as, as opportunity. It's, we see it as kind of more clients for us, more, more um, platforms for us to, uh, to, uh, to offer our content to, um, and, uh, and different audience as well that watches uh, content in a, in a different way. So I think it's giving opportunity for different type of content um, uh, for us to, uh, to bring to them, which is why it, it is exciting to be having conversations with producers and writers here, because I think there are so many stories that haven't been told. I think there have been a lot of content in Latin America has been very focused on a certain type of uh, content. And historically, everybody knows, you know, telenovelas have been uh, very much dominating uh, the, uh, the, uh, the kind of the fiction or scripted um, uh, content in the region. And I think having those new platforms with, for audiences that are uh, looking for different stories, different ways of telling regular stories, I think it is a really exciting, uh, really exciting moment. And I think there are uh, great platforms in the region like Global Play uh, in, in Brazil, uh, VIX and of course Telemundo and we have our own platforms um, as well. I think there is, yeah, there is a, a whole load of new development teams for us to, to be working with at those platforms that are looking for different stories. Thinking more broadly, what about the growth of uh, Spanish language programming in general around the globe? Again, largely driven, I suppose, by the streamers giving access to this but also perhaps because of the, the, the changing nature, I suppose, of some of the, the Spanish language content that we've seen coming out of Latin America, but Spain, of course, itself as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, is Spanish content, by, you know, because of the sheer size of the Spanish audience, um, I think it is, um, it, it, it is very exciting to see what's been happening with the content that's coming out 
of uh, of Spain and and also from uh, from Latin America. I think uh, it's not a surprise to us that this was always going to happen because of the size of the Latin America market, the growth of the U.S. Hispanic market, but also the creativity um, that has been you know coming out of those those territories. This creativity has always been there. It has not found uh, until now such a um, uh, an easy way to present uh, present itself to the to the rest of the world. So it's not a surprise to me. You know, I'm from the region. I was born in Brazil, grew up there. So uh, I've been following the developments in that, this part of the world for a very long time. So I'm not surprised that uh, uh, the growth, um, the expansion of it, has been so substantial in the last few years. And I find it extremely exciting. I think that there's so many, like I said before, so many stories to be told so many books, so many historical facts and, and, and stories to be told. I think it, it's going to be really exciting uh, uh, to see. And there's so many fantastic producers out there coming out of those, those regions, producing very high quality uh, programming. So I think um, audience, audiences, I think, are growing more agnostic of where the content comes from. And as long as they can find that content in those platforms, they will watch as long as it's good content. Domingo Corral is director of original programming at Movie Star Plus, the Telefonica-owned Spanish pay TV platform that made a major push into original programming with series including La Peste, Hierro and Gigantes, followed by the likes of La Unidad and Le Messias. The company committed to spending some 70 million euros annually on homegrown shows and exporting those around the world to countries in Latin America and beyond, as well as fostering stronger ties for co-productions. Corral spoke to me about this strategy, the changes that have taken place in Spanish language programming in recent years and the challenges facing Movistar Plus and others in a toughening economic environment. Well, my, my focus here is, uh, is reinforcing our uh, links with our Latin American partners. That includes, uh, of course, Telemundo, uh, VIX, uh, HBO. Uh, so that's, that's mainly my focus. At the moment, I'm also here with my team, uh, the head of development of my, in my team of TV series. She's also here, and she's more focused on uh, finding projects that might work in Spain and Latin America. How's that kind of dialogue going? How's it developed over the last sort of five to ten years, and how is it changing? You know, and the way that the content produced in either territory travels. Well, I, I think that either it has to be the premium content or 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 what is known as uh, telenovelas, and that, I think that that also also works. How how has it been going for us uh, so far? We've been very focused in making uh, Spanish series, very, very focused, uh, because those are the series that work uh, very well for us. Uh, in, I think, well, we have, uh, you know, in, in an organic way, we have incorporated uh, uh, actors from Latin America um, in, in such uh, successful uh, hit shows like Hierro, for instance, or in El Inmortal, that was a co-production with, uh, with Telemundo. But we want, we want to do more. We want to do, we, the challenging thing here is finding projects that can be relevant for both uh, audiences. That's, that's what, uh, 
what we need uh, to find. But uh, Latin America is part of our culture, of, our, of the Spanish culture. We share loads of things. There's no question about that, starting with the language. And uh, we like to reflect our reality, our Spanish reality, and reflecting that is part of reflecting our own reality. So we have to be, we have to do more, more of those. And that's, that's something that uh, an event like this is very helpful to achieve that. And Movie Star Plus made a, a big investment in original productions going back, I think it was like about five years ago, maybe a little yeah, bit Yeah, more, way, more. Time passes so quickly. Time we started... Passes. There was been a pandemic in between. In between, well. it was arrived, uh, yeah. It was a big commitment, like a sort of 200 million... Yes, it's like around million. 70 million per year, yeah. And uh, we started in 2000... Developing that was in uh, in 2015. Developing, and I think our first show, of, oh, I'm not sure if it was at the end of 2016, that's when we started. And so, how has that kind of strategy evolved as time has gone on? Well, it has uh, it has evolved very well, to be frank uh, with you. It has evolved very well. I mean, the the you know at the beginning, this is a telco company. Telefonica is a telco company. I believe this might be the only telco company that uh, invests so much in original content. Uh, Comcast is a different animal because uh, at the end they bought Universal as a different uh, animal. But but if you if you take the typical uh, telco company, I think Telefonica might be the only one in the world that it has this uh, commitment uh, with uh, with uh, uh, with content. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's at the beginning. Uh, you know, we, we began this this uh, this uh, project, and uh, it was kind of challenging because you know it was not it was not a TV that was doing this. It was more a telco that was uh, behind all this operation. But now, the uh, it has proved to be very successful. The relationship between uh, the cost and the, and the return is very very good. It's very efficient, and and the company is fully committed to 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 continue making uh, content and in. In fact, uh, you know the, the, the context right now is uh, all, 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 all we see is about cutting, cutting, and cutting uh, budgets, programming budgets, uh, and uh, it's not going to be the case for us. We're going to continue investing exactly the same, the same amount. So, so, so far it has proved, proven. Fortunately, it has proven to be successful for us. And what are the shows that are sort of top of mind for you at the moment? And what are the ones that you're looking to, to get off the ground and develop you know, co-production partnerships with um, you know, partners in Latin America, for example? Well, I mean, right now, I mean, the, the ones that uh, they're, they're in a very early stage, because in order, to, in order to do co-productions, you have to have them in a very early stage. So I cannot really talk about them, because they're in that moment in which they're just in development. And, and, but the ones that I'm very, very excited about this year, Clearly, one of them is La Mesías, which is the next project by by Los Javis, and it is a very ambitious project, and we would love to, uh, you know, to 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 see that uh, show uh, all over the world because I think it's going to be is going to be uh, a really big uh, programming event, and then we have other shows like La Unidad Kabul, that's the third season of our successful uh, cop drama La Unidad. The unit uh, in, in English will be La Unidad in Spanish, and El Otro Lado, which is this horror with kind little bit of comedy that we have uh, also made with Berto Romero, who is one of the, for me right now, one of the best creators in Spain.
Dr. Romero. So those are the ones that are, uh, and of course, Rapa, the second season of Rapa is great, and, and we have some others, but I don't want to bore you with all my <laughs> pipeline. Interesting what you say, though, about the, the sort of economic headwinds that all companies are, are facing, um, but that that's not having any kind of impact on your no. ambitions or your, your strategy, but I mean, you must be adapting the business in some way to deal with the, the sort of changing environment and, um, you know, the changing kind of audience appetites and uh, the pressures that there inevitably are on budgets. Oh yeah, I mean, I, my, my biggest concern is because right now, when it comes to, uh, to budgets, is the production costs in Spain, because they have risen dramatically uh, in the last three years because of all this uh, uh, production, uh, this amount of production, of course, has increased the, product, the, the production costs. And that's something that we really need to, to, to manage because that can, it, it, cannot, it cannot continue growing in the way it has grown in the last three years because the business is not, is not growing because we are making more money. No, that's not the case. We, 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 we manage to, uh, to, 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 to keep our churn rate in a very reasonable way, but it's not like uh, we are making them and growing and growing subscribers every month. That's not the scenario. We, we, we are very lucky. We are the leading uh, player in the marketplace. We've got 4 million subscribers, and that's really cool. But, uh, but the, the production costs have increased dramatically and it has nothing to do with the performance of, uh, of, uh, of the business. It has to do with the fact that there's a lot of production going on in the, in, in the marketplace. So, so production costs in Spain really need to not to increase more. And I think that's, uh, but, but beyond that, um, we have the same budget and we face the same challenges that we faced uh, last, last year, which is at the end, how to make original content that is really appealing for our, our subscribers. That's, that hasn't really changed for us. Despite the great Netflix correction of last year in the US, where the world's leading streamer shook investors with unexpected subscriber declines and an about-face on introducing advertising, its impact in Latin America continues to grow. Revenues from subscription and ad-supported streaming services are projected to continue growing in the region, according to research from UK analytics outfit Omdia, with Brazil leading the way in the fast channel space, one that's flourishing in part thanks to a revival of classic telenovelas. Omdia Senior Director Maria Rua Agueta presented the company's most recent findings at Content Americas in Miami and spoke to me about these. The Latin American market is a fascinating market because it's growing really fast in the pay streaming world and also enabled fast. In the pay world, we're expecting 2023 to be a great year with more than 19 million net additions. That is 60% of what LATAM achieved in 2020, the boom year. So a lot of growth in this region. And uh, in terms of, obviously, it's a, it's a big region. There are lots of different countries. There's a lots of variation between the, the different countries. So which ones are you seeing sort of uh, uh, experiencing the greatest growth? So Latam is a great region. It's big, there are different countries. But there is one where we're expecting more growth. That is Brazil. In terms of subscriptions, pay subscriptions, but also in terms of advertising. So when we look at fast revenues, fast channels, that is a hot topic at the moment, uh, we just published a new research saying that in 2027, it will generate more than 12 billion in revenues. One of the top five countries will be Brazil. 
only Brazil will generate 100 million. That is half the whole region, Latin America, with 200 million. Brazil, a country to watch, huge growth, and then other uh, big countries will be Argentina, Mexico, Colombia, but all very far away from Brazil, which is the leader by far in growth. And what's been driving this, this growth? Um, obviously, the rise of the streamers has had a, a major impact. The investment that there's been in Latin America, primarily by Netflix, Amazon, um, a little way behind as well. But, um, you know, that's really sort of shaken up the market and obviously prompted local players to respond. Yes, because the appetite for content coming from LATAM has increased massively in the last two years. So there are all the global streamers, Netflix, Amazon, HBO Max, they are now uh, requesting lots of content coming from this region to then distribute globally. Content from Latin America is now traveling really well. There is an appetite here for consumers to buy content, to watch content as well. So that's why we're expecting LATAM to be a growth area, an opportunity for all the studios to invest here, because there is growth. I have also to say that the number one player by far is Netflix. Netflix in this region has more than 30% of all the subscriptions and 60% of all the streaming revenues. Netflix, big player, but of course there are many others, Amazon, Disney, HBO Max doing extremely well in the region as well. So a lot of growth potential from LATAM. Local players, I mean, we have Bigs uh, launching a streaming service, the biggest catalog in Spanish. So they're responding and they're going to be popular. They're in the top 10 uh, most watched services in, in Mexico uh, and in some countries. But yes, they're facing a strong competition from these global streamers that they are now also investing in Spanish content. So there is competition, but there's opportunities as well for partnerships and also we're talking a lot about the pay world, but in the fast uh, world as well of advertising, we see Tubi, Pluto, Roku, all of these services demanding a lot of Spanish content, not only originals, but also library content. So for any producer, any uh, content owner that they have maybe all catalogs, and now is an opportunity to, again, uh, sell them, monetize that catalog, because with fast, there's a huge opportunity to monetize that content. In terms of the volume of originals, for example, which uh, the likes of Netflix and, and Disney have been investing in in recent years, how have you seen that change? So I'm going to, to uh, speak about LATAM uh, and then Spain. So starting by Spanish from Spain, Netflix has tripled the original production in the last year, tripled the number of hours. Then leaving Spain aside and speaking about LATAM, where it's not only Spanish, we also have uh, content from Brazil. It went from five years ago, less than one series produced from here, to more than 125 series titles produced in Latin America, in just five countries. So, huge explosion. I remember two years ago, 2020, most of the streamers, the percentage of the catalog in Spanish language was tiny. Like, Net, uh, Amazon had less than 1% of the content in Spanish. Disney less than 2%. Only Netflix was already investing in Spanish catalogs. Now, two years later, uh, Disney multiplied by five the number of hours. From only 60 in 2020, now they have more than 300 hours of original new first-run production uh, coming from here, from Spanish. So, huge growth, huge demand. It's a fantastic moment to be 
involved in the Latin American business. What brought about that change? I mean, was it really the, just that the streamers saw an opportunity that others hadn't really, really paid attention to? In fact, I would say Netflix as well, because Netflix has been publishing for a long time top 10 uh, most watched uh, titles, and because Spanish titles and titles also from Latin America, from this region, are being in the top 10 for many, many weeks all around the world, not only in Latin, not only in Spain, then they realize there is an appetite for this type of content. So others are following, others have used Netflix as an example. It's the number one streaming service in the world. So if it works for them, it may work for everyone else. So everyone decided, let's follow this. We need to produce content from Latin, from Spain. It's, there is an appetite worldwide for that type of content. Is it also that the type of content that's coming out of these markets is has changed a little bit. Obviously, the, the, the Latin market in particular has been a, a kind of mainstay of, of, of telenovelas, but we've seen the rise of the super series, partly a response to perhaps the kind of binge-worthy uh, series that, that the streamers kind of have, have made popular. But in terms of genre, in terms of length of series, things have changed a lot, right? Great question. You are right, things are changing. The content, before it was telenovelas, and now there is a lot of other content, documentaries, sports documentaries, comedy, reality, reality TV. So the genres, the type of content has changed a lot. Saying this, in a recent analysis we did looking at top 10 titles in Netflix for more weeks in a row, all telenovelas are coming in the top 10. Pasión de Gavinaldes, Betty La Fea, series that they are really, really old are now coming in the top 10, and we're talking about series that they have like 300 episodes or more. So the appetite for telenovela is also coming back. So yes, there are new genres, yes, now Latin American content is more than those soap operas. At the same time, they are coming very popular as well. Also Amazon are now investing in that kind of format of telenovela. So new genres, but in a way we're also going back to the past with some those old titles that are becoming popular in the pay and in the free window. And a really interesting aspect to all of that, I suppose, is that the fast channels, which you talk about, really depend on, on huge volume of often very similar series, you know. So is, is that a contributing factor, do you think? 100%, and that's why people underestimate the importance of that of library content. Uh, because uh, Pluto TV, for example, they have not been investing in originals, it's all library content, but they have some series that they are more than 10 years old, that they are coming in the, in the rank of the most watched uh, titles. So definitely, uh, the more fast channels there are, the more opportunities there are to fill that content with library content, which is great for everyone in the content space. What are the genres that you're seeing as most popular at the minute and those which are likely to experience the greatest growth in the, in the coming years? So for sure, drama, comedy, uh, scripted and scripted reality, but I will say documentaries, but in particularly around the sports, around the life of sports players all around the world. It can be about local heroes in uh, specific countries, stories that will travel really well, and the stories of female sports players is becoming a hot topic and streamers are demanding uh, documentaries about the life of some good sports women, people that is not so well known at the moment. And what are the challenges that you foresee? Obviously, the whole world is facing a, a difficult economic situation. There's pressure on budgets, but the demand for content is 
as high as ever. The need for volume of content is very high amongst these streamers, but also suggestions that audiences aren't willing to pay as much as they, as they once were. Audiences are not willing to pay, although with economic crisis, what we notice in our consumer survey is that people are cutting other sources of entertainment and they invest more watching content at home. Also, the introduction of ad tiers from companies like Netflix allows people that before they thought it's very expensive, I cannot afford it, now to subscribe to Netflix or even downgrade to the advertising tier, thinking they're making a saving. So I think all these streaming players are very aware of the economic situation and they're introducing bundles or they're introducing advertising tiers to make it affordable to everyone. So I think that's why we're expecting so much growth in 2023. Global trend around the whole globe is if 2020 was the boom year with almost 300 million new subscription services, subscription uh, subscribers, in 2023, it would be 143 million. So it's 50% that growth, big number. How, how is possible that this is happening despite all the crisis and everything? At tiers, content, and people cutting other sources of entertainment and watch TV. So it's going to be a good year for the streaming. Of course, the mergers, acquisitions will put some of these companies as well into lots of challenges, but they will manage to grow. RMV Star is the Los Angeles-based distributor that brought Argentinian telenovela La Chica Colimpia to Fox in the US as the cleaning lady. And the company is now hunting partners for its latest project, a drama about Dominican merengue superstar Millie Quesada. Company president Rosemary Vega spoke to me about the project, originally conceived as a movie, but now likely to end up as a series, and about the importance of telling authentic Latin and US Hispanic stories. This, the show that um, helped me move forward from straight distribution to um, becoming an executive producer is a show that um, I found in Argentina called La Chica Que Limpia, which was a small production um, funded and produced in Argentina, and I fell in love with it. And since then, it has been produced in Mexico, and I'm proudly saying that now we're waiting for our third season in the United States. And together with um, Gersh Agency, we are working towards um, seeking um, other um, versions of the series and currently in negotiations in India, um, Spain, and Germany. Just tell us about the U.S. adaptation and uh, how that came about and the relationship with Fox. Um, the American version came... Um, to be because I'm represented by the Gersh Agency with Roy Ashton, and he helped open the door with Warner Brothers, who ended up doing the co-production with Fox, and so we kind of pretty much just gave them the guidelines, and then they made their own adaptation and interpretation of it, and I could not be more proud. I mean, I think they've done a fantastic, fantastic job of, um, you know, creating a series about a woman who is forced to clean um, crime scenes for the mob because that's what I, in essence, fell in love with. It's like you don't know why someone is doing a job until you've walked in their shoes. And so, and since the cleaning lady is something that's very, a domestic issue. I mean, every country deals with their cleaning lady differently. It's a different relationship. I think um, it was very important to make sure that the adaptability in different languages was available, and that's exactly what we're doing. 
what was it that turned your attention to the Argentinian market and finding that show, given that, you know, there's so much competition in the region and uh, also there's plenty of other territories that you could have looked at too? It happened just, I mean, I, after an extensive, you know, career working with the best studios, the top studios in, in our country, and um, I realized that if I don't have the HBO label on my head, they won't call me back as easily. So I was out looking for a format, something that was a remake, because I really believed that there's an amazing, you know, pool of talent in Latin America that all we need to do is adapt it and translate it. You know, and um, or now they're speaking English fluently as well. But some, obviously, some of these original works are in their original language, and I feel that that content needs to have a place, or could have a place in other parts of the world, when it's as good as the cleaning lady, as La Chica Quilinfia, and it happened to be Argentinian. You know, there's um, during the pandemic, I started working on a on a product from Spain. And so um, it's it's just it's the story that matters, it's the characters that matter, and it could and Argentina, Argentina just literally opened the first door because it was brilliant. In terms of the format, um, telenovelas have obviously been the sort of mainstay of the Latin American market, um, but that's changing. So what what can you say about that? Well, um, the telenovela business, from at least from the U.S. perspective, you know, was something that was usually. Um, it went hundreds of episodes. It's really not my world um, because I came more from CSI or True Blood or you know more U.S. American series. Um, but I think that the shift that Telemundo made from producing a series that are over 200 episodes and reducing them to 60 or 80 episodes is what is now referred to as the super series. And I think that was a brilliant change to adapt themselves to the market, you know, to people being, having different schedules than what they used to sit around and watch telenovela every night as my family did when I was younger. But um, today's um, audience has changed and I think Telemundo reflected that change in, in their programming strategy. And um, I think it opens up um, an opportunity to bring them ideas that maybe they would not have otherwise considered because once you have a series that's, you know, 60 or 80 episodes, it's a different, it's a different rhythm, let's say. You said as well, I think, that you're exploring the Spanish language market more. So what can you tell us about, uh, about that? Well, there's, um, in, I am exploring, um, looking for developing my own series. And we did that during the pandemia with HBO Max. And we developed... Um, a series of eight episodes, a mystery, my first mystery thriller series created by writers from Spain and adapted by a writer in, in Mexico City. And we got to six episodes, and since then we've been on hold um, due to the changes in the company. Um, but it really gave me an opportunity to work hand in hand with the fabulous team of HBO Max in Mexico and, and literally develop a series from a two-pager to a full Bible and um, full eight episodes, six which were completed. And um, I'm just, it was an amazing experience because I really learned how to, you know, what's important in developing a character that's gonna go the long, the long run. Again, um, you know, what are the reasons for exploring the, the, the Spanish language market? You know, is it just because of the uh, properties that are presenting themselves to you or because the market's really opening up? I mean, I, again, I, I look for the, I, what, what drives me to a story 
whether it be in Spanish or English, um, is, is the story, is the characters. And, and if I feel that it's a good fit for one of my clients, then I delve into it. So it doesn't matter which language it's in. If I feel that it's a story that I need to develop for a client in particular, that's where I, th I throw myself, I devote myself to it. What's on the agenda for the coming 12 months for you? Right now I have, a, um, for the next 12 months, my focus is to continue to push um, with the Gersh Agency the format of the cleaning lady around the world. That is a dream and a goal to see um, different versions of this fabulous series in different languages um, adapted to their culture and, and their country. And in addition to that, I am very, 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 very proud to say that I also have a series, a movie, in, um, or a project about Mili Quesada, a film in production in Santo Domingo right now. And we are looking for partnerships to help us finish the movie because it is the, it's another Spanish language project that is, um, is the perfect Latinx story, I say. It's a story of a little girl who arrives in, um, in New York City when the Beatles are coming through JFK. West Side Story is still playing in, in, um, in the theaters. She moves into um, Washington Heights. So one of those, if you saw the movie, one of those little girls playing in the background was one of those little girls who saw the ability to realize her dream. Stayed in Washington Heights until she could buy her house in New Jersey. She was the first woman to lead an orchestra. She took her music, a merengue, all over the world. And last year she won the Latin Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. And um, we are so proud to be working with this legend living legend that's going to be celebrating a new concert soon and um, and to tell the story about positive story about a woman who came here with her family and realized her dream and there's no sex drugs and rock and roll but there is a story of survival the story of ambition the story a great happy story about a latina who came here and did the right thing and realized her dream and i love it i just think that that's the kind of messages that I want to get out about immigrants that come to this country. It's not what we see on the news. It's not everything that um, it's about, at least not the people I know. And the majority of I know, they come here to, to work and they come here to realize a dream. And so I want to produce more films that talk about the positivity of this experience and, and also, you know, bring in, I mean, I, I live we're multinational. We, we have several passports. I speak several languages. And I want to show that, yes, there's people here that we are, I'm American. And, um, and I can, um, and I have a good story to tell. And it's a good, and, I'm, and I contribute to this country in a positive way. And it's just, I want it to be the tapestry of America. And that's how I see it. And I think all my productions kind of touch upon sending positive messages about women positive messages about immigrants, positive messages about being Latin, Latina in this country and how, how, um, how good that is, I mean, how positive. The original concept was to do a movie, but as we got into it, we realized there was a lot of story here, that there's a, a, there's a lot of story about the, the influences of the music at that time during the Latin boom. We had a million Latinos coming into you know, New York or the East Coast at that time and, um, and the effect that that had on music across the board. And so I think um, that's um, why I think we're expanding it to, I know that's why we're expanding it to a longer format to, to bring in not just the Dominican viewpoint, but everything that 
affected her to become the huge worldwide success that she is. So that series is in development right now. Have you got any partners currently on board? No, we um, we have the Film Commission of Santo Domingo that helped us get the money to get started. And so now we're looking for a partner to help us finish it and a platform to put it on. You know, so this is what's really important to me because this is, um, obviously we have a certain amount of time that we have to finish the series, um, the project, and I think that um, it is the type of project that represents women of color in front and behind the camera. And, me, and there's not very many projects that you can do, many, many women, Latina women that have had this level of success that we can talk about. And so this is why I find it very important to, to put a focus on this living nudge. And what stage is it at, at the moment? So? Um, we've produced about 100 minutes of the, of the film, of the series, or of the project, and, um, and that's where we're at. It's absolutely beautiful. We just um, we made our first presentation, um, and we, are, we were just thrilled. We, were, we got a very, very positive response for the quality of the production. The woman behind this, the writer, director, producer, is a 40-year-old um, Dominican who has produced only four or five films, all of which have been award, awarded. She's a multi-talented individual who I'm who I really believe is going to have a very, very bright future. Talking about the future, what are the challenges that you foresee in the industry in the coming 12 months? The challenge for me is having the patience to understand all the changes that are happening at the studios and all the mergers that are going to happen and all the executives that have moved and understanding where they're going and what they, they need because what, they, what we're told one day changes two months later. And, you know, so you focus on you know, finding for your client that one project in that one language. And then it says, oh, no, that was two months ago, a new management is coming. So that's challenging. But again, when I feel that the projects that I have are so well curated that it's just waiting for that right time because I, I first work on the character, I first work on the story, I first, or, you know, the, the stories that are developed you know, that are presented to me are the ones that it's like, I need to make sure that this is well thought out, that this is going to go the distance, that it can be a CSI, that it can be a, you know, a true blood or, a, you know, a, a law and order or, or hopefully a cleaning lady. And so when I see that something has been well thought out, that's what I focus on and wait for the right opportunity. And that's the hardest part right now because two years ago, maybe I could, it was very clear where we were going. Today, it's like, okay, let's let the dust settle and then be ready to make that, that launch when it happens. Because, um, but it's still, I think, what's fascinating what's happening in, in the United States. I think it was time to make a change. And um, having been from the studio system, having known how hard it was to, to get into that lot, you know, and, and, I mean, I was comfortable because they would lock the door behind me, but it was like not an easy process to get in. Now I think there's more, it's, 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 a little bit more complicated, but it's um, giving more opportunities to more people um, because there's more platforms to produce for. And um, again, if it's the story's right, I believe that anybody can move forward with that, have a chance. Rosemarie Vega, speaking with me at Content Americas in Miami. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more discussion by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday. 
The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 